It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help, and can't get a hold of anyone. If you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right, a real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. In celebration of Black History Month, Hyundai is proud to support the OWN Network. Have you ever thought about your car personality? What's your vibe? Do you like the classic fully gas-powered engine? Are you a best-of-both-worlds type? Driving on battery power while keeping gas on reserve? Or are you more inclined to choose a convenient hybrid ride? Whichever your vibe, there's a Hyundai Tucson to match and a powertrain to get you there. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the 2023 Hyundai Tucson. The 2023 Tucson Plug-In Hybrid is only sold in California, Colorado, Connecticut, Maine, Massachusetts, Maryland, New Jersey, New York, Oregon, Rhode Island, and Vermont. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. Welcome to part two of our conversation. So your case, uh, those of you who are going to read The Sun Does Shine, you'll see that you tried to appeal, 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 appeal. And it's like they had decided that no matter what, they were going to keep you behind bars. Yes. Yeah. A lot of people don't understand the, the justice system. Yes. In the appeal process, they ask you what takes so long. And on death penalty cases, the Alabama Criminal Court Appeal would rule every four years on your case. And once they rule either for you or against you, if they rule against you, they send it to the Alabama Supreme Court. It takes them approximately four to five years before they rule. But at least is there some relief for as long as you are appealing, at least you know you can't be fried. Yes. Yeah. That's, at least that, you know that. That is, the, that is the dessert of it. Yeah. Because they cannot set you a date. They cannot give you a date. As um, long as you're appealing. As long as you're appealing. Yeah. It is once you appeal, it's completely exhausted. It's when the state of Alabama goes to the Alabama Supreme Court and the actual how many? Date. How often did, were you thinking about... Because I don't know how you survive every day thinking, I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. Is there a point where you have to let that go? I did. And resign yourself, just surrender to whatever is happening now? I did. You have to, uh, first and foremost, you have to, the life that you used to, you have to let it go. Because you cannot live that life anymore. And so somehow you got to get that out of your brain. And the fact that you have an appeal process, you have to learn to adjust and learn the lawyer talk with that. And so wh what I did was, 
I started enjoying life. I started playing basketball. I played with the Knicks. They won a championship. I played Wimbledon in my mind. I won five-time Wimbledon Grand Slam. Had you ever played? Had you played basketball yes. before when you were out? Yes. Had you played tennis before yes. you were out? So all these oh, things. Yes. So you went to Wimbledon yes. in your mind. Yes. You won Wimbledon. I won it five times. <laughs> <laughs> And, no and, need to go if you're not going to win. That's right. Yeah, you and, won it five times and, in your mind. You, yes, and you know it wasn't until Mr. Brunson, yeah, he had invited me over to his private house, and that me and him played a game of tennis. And he said, "Ray, you played tennis on death row?" I said, "Yes, sir. I won it for Wimbledon five times on death row." And he looked at me. He said, "You do have a sense of humor." But I did play tennis before I went, and in my mind, everything I did, I was pretty good in sports. And I just kept going. And, and this would occupy you for hours? Hours. Oh, yes. Hours, I, I, days, and days, and hours. Yes. And during baseball season, the Yankees, we was tired. We needed a home run. Who was at the bat? I was. And so in your imagination, you would just walk through the whole game? Yes. Every inning? Every inning. I, I would call a timeout, and I would go up there and talk to the pitcher, and I would say, Coach. Did you know that it's Asian American and Pacific Islander Heritage Month? Macy's is highlighting some really cool AAPI-owned brands right now, like Cardon, Kaja, Amelia George, and Hey Meave. Plus, you can help to support college access and student success when you donate online or round up in-store to APIA scholars. APIA is the nation's leading nonprofit organization devoted to the academic, personal, and professional success of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, and Pacific Islander students. Shop Asian American and Pacific Islander owned brands at Macy's.com or in store. The next generation of influential black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. That first night when there was somebody crying on death row and then you ended up making a joke and recognizing that they lost their mom and had compassion and then the men started speaking to each other for the first time, yes. right? And then you later found out that one of the people that you were, had been speaking to and had befriended was a man named Henry. Yes. Can you tell me about Henry? Well, Henry was a Ku Klux Klansman son. His daddy was a Grand Wizard in the Klan's organization. And after I got to learn the story, Henry's father was upset that a black man had got found not guilty uh, in a murder trial. And he ordered them to go out and kill the first black man that they came across. And they came across a 19-year-old, I think it was 19. And they befriended him, got him somehow, tricked him in the car, and they hung him and cut his genitals off. 
And I, when him This is was, in 1980-something, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and so, but when Henry came to death row... He was the first white man convicted... Yes. ...of... A lynching. A lynching in 85 years. Yes, yes. yes. And as I got to know Henry and, and realized I didn't know who I was talking to, and... So you all are just voices in the, yes. in the day and night? Yes. Because nobody can see anybody oh, no, on no. the row. Put you in a little cage and that's it. You got a wall between you and wall between you and got mesh wire in front of you and that's it. But, but after a while, you get to know that this voice coming from here, and you identify yes. the names and the voices. Yes. And what I learned about Henry is that Henry had been taught to hate all his life. And uh, myself, along with some other uh, uh, blacks, we didn't judge Henry because everybody was therefore accused of killing someone. And so Henry and I became friends, and I kept wondering, was it difficult to become friends with a man who you knew had been accused and found guilty, not just accused, but is on death row for lynching no. a young black man? It no. was not. It was not. Why was it not? It was not because I personally didn't know had Henry done that. I was there on death row for something I know I didn't do. So I couldn't just judge by him being guilty. And, and I never did ask him, did you do it? You didn't? I, I never did ask him that. Uh, I just feel that wasn't my business. And if you did it, that's between you and your God. All I knew, I was there for something I didn't do. And Isn't it true that that's sort of the code of it is. respect on it the, is. On the oh, row, that is. nobody asked anybody, right. did you really do right. it? Right. Yeah. And, and not only that, with you having so many prosecution that will come back and ask somebody to snitch and say they said something, it's best you don't say nothing. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't ask him, well, did he did it? I really got to know Henry for Henry, and Henry Wasn't had, there a point where Henry said, my mom and my mom and Paul were yes. wrong, they were wrong? Yes. On the night of the execution, we had told Henry about love and respect for one another. And let me say before I end this, death row is the only place that I've ever been where I didn't never witness racism. And then I often thought about that. Why is it that I never witnessed racism here? It's because all of us had the same sentence to death. We went to bed with a death sentence over our head. We woke up with a death sentence over our head. We all wore the same clothes, the same tennis shoes, the same whatever. We all ate the same thing, so it wasn't no different. It wasn't no need to be jealous. It wasn't no need to be racist. We all was there to die. And we all had to become and somehow become each other support system. Hmm. And so, so much so that you, Created a book club. Yes. I'm very proud of my book club. Uh, I'm and very proud of mine. <laughs> <laughs> you had your own book club. Yes, I what did. gave you the idea for the book club? The fact that you were able to, in your own mind, go anywhere you wanted to, yeah. right? Yeah. And you wanted those men to be able to have the same experience. Yes. Of traveling the world, expanding the way they see yes. themselves in the world. And, and you could do it in your own mind. Absolutely but you thought books would help them do it. Absolutely. And, and not only that, I, I felt that society had let them down. I never forget, I used to ask, what grade did you drop out of school, if you don't mind me asking? Everyone was the seventh and eighth grade. And I'm saying, how did y'all drop out at the seventh and eighth grade? If I missed a day, the teacher would find my mama and say, Anthony didn't come to school. Did you know it? And most all the answer was, man, didn't nobody really care about 
going to school. They didn't care whether we came or not, so I dropped out. So I felt that society had let them down in that regard. They didn't make them go to school, and so therefore they didn't learn. And so I knew that books would open up your mind and make you be in places that you never thought you could be. And so I first had to ask the warden about a book club. And, and I goes up there and I ask him about, and he said, well, what's in it for you? I said, nothing in it for me. I said, warden, wouldn't you prefer these men to be reading a book and having their time spent on something else than to be thinking about and spinning out on your officer and right. throwing feces out on them? Wouldn't it be better if we could just read a book? And he said, let me think about it. He thought about it, sent me word that we could. And I chose James Baldwin. And uh, I had read James Baldwin before. So you have the white, racist, KKK people. I had two of them in On your book club <laughs> yes. reading James Baldwin. Yes. And I heard you all read James Baldwin. Yes. Go Tell It on the Mountain. Yes. I loved James Baldwin, but I also read other books like Your Blues Ain't Like Mine. I read To Kill a Mockingbird. Yeah. And not the cut, but the killer Markenberg was me. Yes. Exactly. You were Tom. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah. And, and, and people say, well, how could you read it? I said, it gave and gave me a better uh, a sight why I was there. I said, the killer Markenberg is one of the South most embraced book, but that book is true. I was Tommy. I really was told me if you read the book. And, and so what this particular book, I wanted Henry to read it and see what he would really think about his father. I really wanted Henry to think about how black men and women in this country have paid ways and we are authors and read about them some. And Henry had a profound respect for To Kill a Mockingbird. To Kill a Mockingbird. You wrote that we are all slowly dying from our own fear our minds killing us quicker than the state of Alabama ever could. Yes. That's why you wanted them to have the books. Yes. Men would do all kinds of crazy things rather than spend another night with their own thoughts. Bring in the books, I thought. Let every man on the row have a week away inside the world of a book. I knew if the mind could open, the heart would follow. Mm. It had happened to Henry. Look at him sitting here in a lock room with five black men who had nothing to lose. He'd been taught to hate us and fear us so much that he had thought it was in his rights to go and find a teenage boy and beat and stab and lynch him just because of the color of his skin. I had no anger toward Henry. He had been taught to fear blacks. He had been trained to hate. Death Row had been good for Henry. Death Row had saved his soul. Death Row had taught him that his hate was wrong. Yes. And you know, he died knowing that. He died. And what I loved, on the night of his execution, they asked you two things. What you want for your last meal, and do you have anything you want to say? And I was told that Henry said, all of my life, my father, my mother, my community taught me to hate. The very people that they taught me to hate are the very people that taught me how to love. And tonight, as I leave this world, I leave this world knowing what love feels like. And I often say that if we can teach people to hate, we should be able to teach them to love. Yeah. And I fought society. I fought this, it takes a village to raise a child. And I often ask 
Where was this village when this young boy was being taught to hate? Mm -hmm. Where was this village when he needed him the most? Mm -hmm. And so that book club and the fact that we treated Henry no different, I really believe Henry left this world a better man than he came in. Thomas's presents Pondering the Bagel with Tom. Oh, the paradox of the bagel. Tis crunchy yet soft. Tis filling yet has a hole. Tis a vehicle for spreads, but only travels from toaster to plate. Thomas's, huzzah, a toast to breakfast. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and & Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. So, you've been out now, what, two three years, years three. three years? Death Row taught Henry to love. What did it teach you? Death Row taught me that either you love or you hate. Death Row taught me you either help or you harm. Death Row taught me you never know the moment, the second your life will change forever. Mm. And you can't see it coming, you don't know when it's coming. And so, Death Row taught me no matter where we are, we still can love and we still can help one another. Mm. And although all of us was there together, we didn't know each other, but we came together as a, as a bunch of men that the world said that the world would be better if we wasn't in it. And I tried to bring to them that no matter where we are, we can make this the home. It may not be where we want to be, it may not be where some of us should be, but let's love one another and let's do what we can for one another. What is remarkable in this story, The Sun Does Shine, is that your friend Lester, mm -hmm. you all were friends who had been friends since you were what? Four years old. Four years he old. He was four and I was six. Four and six. That your friend Lester, he was in that courtroom mm -hmm. the day you were sentenced to death, and he came to visit you in prison every single week without fail. Didn't ask for anything. He, for 30 years. Yes. They don't make them like that anymore. They don't come like that anymore. Where he'd have to drive for hours? It was, if I'm not mistaken, it's about 268 miles or better one way. Oh, my God. And he was working uh, 11 to 7. He would get off on a Friday and drive all the way. And I would tell him, listen, you don't work all night, don't come down here. But at 9.15, he was there clockwork. They would roll my door and revisit, and I knew who it was. Lester made me, if this make any sense to anybody. All my life, I thought I knew what friendship meant. But Lester didn't show me what it meant. Lester didn't ask me how it was done. He came to see how it was done. Lester didn't say, write me. He always said, call me. And no matter what the prison would allow us to have, Lester didn't want me to ask anyone but him. And that way he knew that I would get it. Mm -hmm. And so 
Lester just showed me what real friendship is all about. And he didn't come expecting anything because none of us could really say I would be here where I am today. Mm -hmm. And so I knew he did it out of love and the friendship that we have always had for one another. Lester and I have had some some clothes called walking from school and yeah. having to duck in the woods yeah. and, and all kinds. And white so, men would drive yes. by and you were young boys, yes. you'd go jump in oh, the yes. ditch because illegal just to be on the road yes. or yes. certainly not illegal but dangerous. Oh, very dangerous. Dangerous to be two black boys yes. on a road. Yes. And, and, regardless and, of where you were going absolutely. or where you'd come from. Absolutely. And, and Lester, you know, just was a godsend. He didn't want me to feel alone. Yeah. And I can't even begin to express to people how important that is when you just confined in, in, in a cell to know that you have someone that care about you that much mm -hmm. to come see you. And not only that, it keeps the guards from beating you and whooping you because they know you got somebody gonna come see you. And if something had been wrong with me, Lester was gonna say, how did Ray get those scratches and bruises on his face? Mm -hmm. And, well, I'm going to go and see a lawyer. And so Lester was just, oh, Lester's godsend. And I often tell him, even when we was in our mother womb, God knew you would be my ram in the bush. Mm. And so he just, everything to me, and I, I love him as a friend, I love him as a brother. And... I just wish the world, everybody could have a friend like Lester. Like Lester. Yes. The night that broke you, that you thought for a moment you weren't going to recover from, was when they came to tell you that your mother had died. And you know, I know for you, and certainly as I read the book, one of the deepest sorrows is that mm. your mother didn't get to see you free. Mm. And that the last time she saw you, and every time she heard your voice, she said, son, when are you coming home? Yes. When are you coming home? She would ask me that. And I, I lied to her every time she asked me. Mm -hmm. uh, Mama, they're working on it. Uh, they're just going to take some time. And and I at some point, I didn't know what my mother was trying to protect me. I knew I was trying to protect her in the truth. And I couldn't say Mama in next year or next month. And the night I found out that my mom had died, I really didn't give a damn whether I live because I truly believe that my mom died of a broken heart. Yeah. And I guess in some way I feel like she, I often say she got tired of waiting. Yeah. And, and she left this world and that night I, that I had called Mr. Stevenson <clears throat> and I because, told Mr. Stevenson. Oh, uh, yeah. I said, I don't give a damn about this case. And I said, my mom gone, and I don't see myself in this world without my mom. And without saying thank you, without saying I appreciate it, I just hung up. And that night as I tried to sleep, it was as though my mom came in the cell and stayed in my ear all night long. And I could hear her saying, I did not bring you up to be a quarter. I did not bring you up to stop. I want you to fight. I taught you to fight when you have to fight. And it wasn't until my mom, I could hear my mom saying, I'm disappointed in you. Because every baseball game 
everything I was in. My mom was my biggest cheerleader. And when I would strike out, she was there to say, you'll hit it the next time. And my mom would always hug me and tell me how good and how proud she was of me. And that night, I could hear my mom telling me that she was disappointed in me. Because you were thinking about killing yourself. You were thinking about killing yourself after finding out that she had died. And early that morning, I called Mr. Stevenson and I said, Mr. Stevenson, I want to apologize for hanging up, but I had a moment of weakness. I want you to give the state of Alabama all the hell you can give them. Mm. By that time, Brian Stevenson had already been on your case for how many years? Oh, about five or six, I think. The twists and turns, and even Brian Stevenson on the case, trying, trying, pushing, pushing, and everybody can see that there's been a miscarriage of justice here. Still, the state of Alabama would not. No, Brian Stevenson went out and got the best best experts. And who said those bullets could not possibly been fired yes. from that gun. Yes. And they still would not do anything. No. Would not no. reopen the case. No. At that point, though, were you ready to give up? Because once you've got the ballistics experts, you got the new FBI, and it's almost, what, it's over 20 years yes. later. They find the gun. First they lost the gun, then accused Brian Stevenson of stealing the gun. Yes. They find the gun, and they realize beyond a shadow of a doubt, those bullets could not have come from yes. the gun and that the whole thing was a sham. Yes. They still refused to reopen the yes. case. Yes. And, and it took the United States Supreme Court, I know we'll forget, he came down to the prison and he said, Ray, the judges in Alabama is not going to do the right thing. And he said, I'm going to have to take this case to the United States Supreme Court. But he said, I need to tell you something. And he said, if they rule against you, the state of Alabama will execute you within two years. And believe it or not, hearing that was somewhat of a relief. Because mm-hmm. it could yeah. be over. I was tired of sitting there. I was tired of yeah. being in this cage. Yeah. And I said, Mr. Stevenson, file my case. Yeah. And at one yeah. point, there was a lawyer who had offered you the opportunity to take a... Life without parole. Life without parole. Yes. And you said, I don't want life without parole. I said, life without parole is for guilty people. I said, I'm finna tell you something that you may not understand. I said, 12 years old, I never will forget this. My mom told me, she said, if you man enough to bend down and pick up a rock, and if you man enough to throw that rock, always be man enough to say I throw that rock. I said, this is one rock I didn't throw. Therefore, I could never stand up and say I throw this rock when I didn't. And I said, and since you don't believe in me, I have no choice but to fire you. But he was trying to get me a life without parole, and I said life without parole is for guilty people. I'd rather die for something that the state of Alabama know that I didn't do than to stay in prison for the rest of my life. That's not a life. And so I'd rather not be in this world if so be it, and that's what I've done. 
finally, after Brian Stevenson and the Equal Justice Initiative taking on this case, 16 years later, after they took on the case, you finally are released after he goes to the Supreme Court. Yes, ma'am. And he was just asking the Supreme Court to review it. Yes. And in their review, they made a decision. Yes. What uh, did you feel like that day? Oh, we had came up for a hearing, and he was in New York. And one of the lawyers had just left, and he came back real quick. He said, you need to call Brian. And I called Mr. Stevenson, and Mr. Stevenson was telling me, Ray, you're not going to believe this. And I sit down, and he told me, he said, Ray, the United States Supreme Court have ruled nine to zero in your favor. Ray, you're going home. Mm. I said, Mr. Stevenson, are you? This is April Fool. I, then I thought about who Brian Stevenson was. He's not a, like a jokester. And I took the phone away from him and I cried like a baby, mm. right there in front of all the other guys, inmates that I didn't know. And I got back on the phone and I said, when? He said, uh, I'm headed back to Birmingham and I can't tell you Zach, but I'm gonna find out and we'll know. And he said, I'm gonna talk to the judge and he did. And the judge wanted to keep me in one day longer. He said, no, I want him out as soon as possible. And I got out on Good Friday. Mm. And Hadn't been to a, like a regular church in 30 years, and that Sunday I was able to go to my first Easter service, and every Good Friday is, is my anniversary. Mm -hmm. And so uh, had it not been for Brian Stevenson, God sending me his best attorney, I wouldn't be sitting here. I wouldn't be in this world. No. The state of Alabama knew that I was not the person. They knew that gun didn't match. And to this day, no one in the state of Alabama have had the decency to apologize to me. Would it mean something if they did? It, it would, for this reason. It matters to me that the victim family think that I'm still the person that killed their loved one. I think they deserve truth as well. And it would mean to me that for a society that believe in the death penalty, we do send innocent men and women to death row. And just to hear the authority the system say we made a mistake would mean a lot to me. And it won't give me back what I lost, but it would mean a great deal to me for them to say, we're sorry. We made a mistake and we promise that we will not do this again. So early on you talked about when you'd been held for a year and a half before trial and thinking that you were gonna get out after the trial that you just wanted to smell something other than the sweat and the musk, musk. and the mold yes. and, the, and that you just wanted to be able to feel some rain on your face yes. and you wanted to be able to see the sunshine. What was it like once you finally were released 30 years later oh, it and you was, felt rain on your face for the first time? Oh, it was wonderful. I, I mean, I could just stay in the rain the whole day if, if, if I could have. And everybody kept saying, get out of the rain, you get sick. I said, I haven't had rain on my body for 30 years. And my little niece was with me, and she pops a little umbrella. And she said, come on, Uncle Ray, get up on the umbrella with me. And I said, no, I'm going to walk in the rain. And she said, Uncle Ray, it's not natural for anybody to walk in the rain the way you do. And I looked at her, and I said, you know, for 30 years, 
not a drop of rain was allowed to fall on my body. I said, so let me enjoy this rain. <laughs> and to this day, I still walk in the rain as though I just came out of it yesterday. I just love the feel of it. Uh, I don't care about the clothes. I just love to, to feel it's so cool and refreshing. And it's the only thing I know that haven't been intimidated. Mm. It comes from God. Mm -hmm. And so I just love it. Mm. I can't imagine. I was trying to think about 1989. We didn't even have those. I think we just started those big brick cell phones, right? Oh, really? The big oh. the cell phones that look like bricks. Oh, okay. Or were they still <laughs> dialing? Were they still dialing? Your your mama probably still had a dial yeah, phone, yeah, right? She phone did. on the wall yes. in the kitchen. Phone yes. on the wall in the kitchen. Right. Absolutely. So when you come out and it's cell phones and it's social media. After all, it's Lester, yes. your friend who's been there every single week, yes. who picks you up in prison, and you come out, mm. and you're in Lester's car. Yes. He, he, he asked me, he said, where, you, where the first place you wanted to go? And I really believe Lester thought I was going to say, let's go get something to eat, because yeah. I always complain about the food. But I said, I want you to take me where they laid my mother's body. I said, I know she's not there, but I want to just see where they laid her body. And he said, okay, and I put on the seatbelt. He put on his, and he cranks the car up, and I, I'm seeing him messing with the radio dial. I'm thinking he's trying to find a radio station. He put it in drive, and we go down the road, and about a little distant, this white lady come on. <laughs> she said, one-tenth of a mile, turn right. And I jumped. I said, what the hell? And he's laughing now, because I'm thinking the white woman is in the back. And I know then, but two of us get in this car, and I'm I'm afraid to look back, and I'm saying, white lady back there, <laughs> and he's laughing. So he, I said, and he can't take it no longer. He pulls over to the sides of the road, and he said, this is a GPS track. I said, what is that? I said, you heard the white lady. He said, she's in here. I said, how she get in there? <laughs> <laughs> So, I'm thinking a real human being is one thing. They don't open up the, the passenger side and somehow she can lay in there or whatever and, and tell, you know, stuff. And he said, explain it to me. Go He's over. laying down under the seat <laughs> he telling you which way to go. And he said, all you have to do is punch in the address and she'll tell you exactly how to go and where to turn and everything. And I said, you mean to tell me you don't have to stop at the Philly station. <laughs> you don't stop at the And get the direction no more. You, no more. And it made me realize I've been locked up a long time. Yes. I don't say it. I realize I've been locked up a long time. The world have changed. And they had Walmart. And I, I'm saying this is a one-stop place. Yeah. You know? And Walmart. Yes. And Amazon Prime. It's amazing. What have um, been the other incredible discoveries for you? The infrastructure. Yeah. Where I used to live is it's no longer exists. They don't made an interstate through there. Oh, you can actually come from out of Atlanta all the way into Memphis, Tennessee, without stopping. And it's to me, modern technology and the infrastructure have it how it have changed and. You don't see self-service filling station anymore where people come out and pump your gas. And uh, you have these things now called credit cards. And everything is a swipe and you're gone. Yeah. And when I first got home, I stayed froze. 
Leslie and I went to a restaurant and I had some sweet tea in my hand. And I didn't see him handing laid any money. And I'm so thinking that I'm going back to jail. You didn't pay, I don't have any money. And he forgot and he turned around and he realized that he hadn't explained this to me. He said, come on. I said, I don't have any money to pay for my tea. He said, I paid for it already. I said, you didn't get it later no money, I'm watching you. And he said, I'm sorry. He said, this is a credit card and I swiped it and it's paid for. Wow. So life, uh, all of that, you know, happened. Cell phones. Yes. All of it. And, and to this day, I'm still not familiar with the cell phone. I can do certain things. I don't know how to download. I, I can email you back. I can text you back. I can take a picture, but that's it. And you can talk. Oh, yeah, I can talk, yes. Okay. That's good. <laughs> You're good to go. But now if you call me and say, Mr. Stevenson, I, one of you going to have to hang up because I don't know how to put you on hold and go back and get him. And so people keep trying, and I get it confused, and I say... It's okay. You're doing just so, fine. You no. really are doing just fine. No, thank you. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about what you lost? I do sometimes, and the greatest of it all is the years that I lost with my mother. There's nothing in this world that I feel I lost more than those years with her. Again, you have to know where I come from in our life, but my mom have always been there for me, and I would just love to have been there to give her some cold water or, or make her some soup and, and feed it to her like she would do me if I was sick. And I didn't get the opportunity, but what get me more than anything, I didn't get, I didn't get to say goodbye. And so they took more than just 30 years for me and I could never ever get that out of my mind that I didn't say goodbye like my other brothers and sisters did. And I feel that I was cheated. But... You said that there's not a day or there's not a night now even that you don't pull out her picture and say, good night, Mama. Do yes. you feel the presence of her with you now? I do sometimes. I really feel when I have got up and made a speech or something. Yeah. It's like I can hear her saying, I'm proud of you. Mm -hmm. You've done good. Mm -hmm. And I think the thing that my mom always have spoiled me whenever I did something good, got an A or whatever, she would always cook me a nice peach cobbler or blackberry pie. And I don't have nobody to do that now. So uh, I just miss my mom in a way that I had a great relationship with her, and I couldn't tell you anyone I respect more than I did. My mother was always yes, ma'am, and no, ma'am, and whatever she said, I obeyed her because she gave me her all. I feel like she's still giving it to you. No. I feel like that she's guiding you in places that you never even imagined, even you, no. who's been to see the Queen of England. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yes, sir. It's been my pleasure and my honor to my, speak to you. Thank you so much. You're a good man. Thank you. Thank you. Good man. Thank you. Thank you so much. The sun does shine. How I found life and freedom on death row. Death row. Beautiful. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. 
You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul conversation. Thank you for listening. Dive into the start of summer at Whole Foods Market. Check out their summer splash event with sales on fresh organic produce, organic strawberries, and a fan favorite sale on Ben and Jerry's and Talenti. Explore deals on grill-friendly meats like organic air-chilled chicken breast, beef and chicken kebabs, all with no antibiotics ever from our meat department. Plus, grab easy sides from prepared foods and cool off with refreshing drinks. Kick off your summer and shop in store or online at Whole Foods Market today. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, Use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.